0: Here we go. You ready to get into the Word together? All right, good. This is part three uh, yeah, of our study, so we've been doing this now a couple times in First Peter 2, 4 through 10, and guess what? There's going to be a part four. There's going to be a part four. But next week, uh, we'll that'll be it, I believe, we'll conclude, and then after that, we're going to move on to the next set of verses in, in 1 Peter. So out of this section in uh, 1 Peter, we have been drawing out truths concerning the church, and we're going to continue to do that this morning. Drawing out truths from this section concerning the church. So, uh, I am reviewing, and I'm doing that on purpose. And so, you may say you're saying the same, some of the same things that you said last time. I'm intentionally doing that. I want, I think this matter is so important, I want to drive it home, and repetition has a way of helping us learn. And so, I'm hoping to say it maybe just a little bit differently, and and you'll it'll maybe click or it'll just drive home uh, your convictions concerning the church and, and make them more biblically centered. So here are a few things we've covered so far in part one and part two. Okay. Contrary to what many folks think, the church, biblically speaking, is not a physical building. Okay? It's not a physical building. I know. I know we talk about it in those terms or in that way, and you know sometimes we just can't help it the way we talk, talk about it or use it. It's just kind of natural for us to speak of it. We're going to church. okay? But it, I want to make sure that you're clear whenever you're talking about it or thinking about it that you're thinking of it biblically. It is not a physical building. The church, the redeemed people of God, gather in a building, which is what we're doing, right now. Um, but the church is not actually the building. However, the church is described or pictured in First Peter as a building or structure of sorts. Uh, specifically, or more specifically, Peter refers to the church as a, quote, spiritual house. Spiritual house. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is both the cornerstone, verse 6 of our text, and the living stone, verse 5 of our text, of this spiritual house, the church. And this building imagery, if we stop to think about it, is uh, rather instructive, or can be. So, being the cornerstone of the building, Jesus gives the structure, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, this is just a review, but being the cornerstone of the building, Jesus gives the structure, or that is the church, strength and stability. Strength and stability. Uh, by the way, just a side note, cornerstone, if Jesus Christ is a cornerstone, it implies there is a building that's going to be built. You don't lay a cornerstone without then building a building. Okay? And as the living stone he gives life to all the other stones that make up or constitute the structure or spiritual house that is the church. And the other stones of the building are all those, in case you forgot, who have been united to Christ through saving faith in him alone. That is the redeemed, the saved, those who have been born again. And one of the implications or conclusions that can be drawn from the fact that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and living stone of the church is that Jesus is absolutely everything to the church, the spiritual house. And being everything, he should therefore be the focus of the church, of the people of God, of the community of believers. He should be valued and exalted above all, all else by the church or the other stones of the building. He is the stone. He is the great stone of the building. So the church should always be about the business of magnifying Jesus, honoring Jesus, of living for Jesus, because Jesus is the most important stone of the structure. You with me? Additionally, the church, the spiritual house that is being built on Christ, is, as we've said, I've said over and over again, is collectively made up of Christians, also referred to as the living stones of the building. Jesus is the living stone, but the other Christians who constitute the building are also referred to as living stones. Why? Because the living stone has given them life. And as I said last time, picturing the church as a structure or building... Collectively made up of living stones or Christians certainly implies that God does not desire or want Christians to live out their Christian lives in isolation. He he does not. The scriptures do not picture the Christian life that way. but rather God's desires for the believer to unite with, get plugged into, be involved with the church or a local congregation or assembly of believers, Christians, followers of Christ, which is the local church. Someone uh, had came up to me after last week, they were just asking me to flush it out a little bit more of the sermon from last week, which is always was helpful for me to think through that as well, and we were just talking about you know various things, and also that God does not desire people to live in isolation but to be connected to the church. The very imagery of a structure together pictures that it doesn 't picture anything else it doesn 't picture the idea that Christians would just be all out on their own doing their own thing but the individual I brought up that sometimes people have been part of a uh, have plugged themselves into a local church, Christians and they had a very bad experience and that is that does happen, and then therefore, based on the bad experience they they choose to separate themselves in a sense from the building, you know not be part of the building in a sense, not be plugged in um you know, I, I understand all that. I get that. And that is unfortunate because we live in a fallen world. And, and there, you've heard this probably so many times. There is no perfect church. But beyond that, sometimes there's churches that are bad. Bad. That may be the case. You know, but sometimes it's also the case that the person leaving or having the bad experience, when you look into it a little bit deeper, um, they may have some fault in that. Sometimes that needs to be worked through. Maybe, they, maybe God needs to get a hold of them and work through that, that it wasn't just a bad church, but maybe they didn't like being uh, disciplined or instructed or exhorted. There's always that matter as well to consider on the other side. But I would, I would say this. If I had a, a bad job experience, a really bad job experience, you know, and you can imagine, which probably many of you have had, and then I left, you know what I'm going to end up doing? Staying home? I'm going to go get another job. Even though I had a very bad experience, I'm going to get another job. Now, why would I do that? Huh? Well, I have to have one. I mean, theoretically you don't. You can live off the government, I guess. I mean, theoretically you don't. But we value what the job could potentially accomplish for us, bring to us, right? There's still some value. So we recognize, all right, not every job's going to be wonderful, but jobs in and of themselves, just because I have a bad experience, doesn't mean I'm going to say no more jobs. Honestly, I think that Satan doesn't want you to be involved with the church. I'm just going to say that, okay? He does not. As a Christian, he wants you to live an isolated life. It is more easy to target you, to discourage you, to keep you from growing in Christ so I think that's why he attacks there, and so he takes the opportunity to use our bad experiences. But instead of saying, Lord, I had a bad experience, but I'm going to trust you. I see your plan for me as a believer in Jesus Christ. It is to be plugged into the local body, the church. Therefore, I'm going I'm to go at it again and look to you, and I'm going to trust you and, and find my hope in you and have faith in you and recognize that, you know, Things are never going to be just perfect and just the way I want them until you come again and set it all right. Meanwhile, I'm going to continue to plug myself into the local body of Christ. So that's my that's what I would say to those folks. I understand pains and hurts. I do. By the way, I personally understand it. Was personally hurt by a church. And yet I'm pastoring one. You see? Why didn't I just say, I'm done with that? Because God loves the church. Christ gave himself for it. And it is a gift to believers. And I mean, if you see it that way, then you would not separate yourself from it. I hope that was helpful. And as I uh, mentioned last time, that verse, verse 5, where it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house uh, one commentator said that, you know, just that text, thinking about that, you yourselves like living stones, building stones are being built up as a spiritual house, that Peter was not thinking of, uh, did not think of the Christians he was writing to as isolated stones. You see the imagery, scattered all over the field. rather they are stones or building stones, specially fitted to be part of a structure. The church, each shaped in place to fulfill its assigned task. All right. So again, if the, the limit of my knowledge when I think of the church is a physical building, then, you know, there's not, there's not much value per se to that. It doesn't cause me to want to necessarily, I could come and go as I please, do whatever. But when you think of it as the, the community of believers and they're together, they're together, and I mentioned, you know, there's these stones in a building together and, and this picture of that Christ being the cornerstone, we're all connected to him, but we're also connected to one another Right, And the idea of support that as a stone in a building, as you think about it, because again, stone, buildings were built of stone back then, so it makes sense, but to them, not so much to us, but you can still picture it, imagine it. I am, I am not only a stone in the building, therefore supporting other stones above me, but I'm being supported from underneath or around as well. The imagery is beautiful, if you think of it rightly, which I'm, tr- I'm trying to help us do. Okay. And it just uh, puts a picture in your mind of the church that is glorious and it's appropriate. So, by the way, on that note of living in isolation, let me say this as well, why we, why we are not to, why God did not design us to, that it doesn't fit with the imagery that is the church. But think about this for a moment. Think about all the one another commands, the one another commands that are given to the church in the New Testament. They're given to the church. To the people of God, given to local churches, written, the letter, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Romans, written to local churches, okay? But think about the one another commands. And I'm taking this now again from the discipleship material that I had talked about either last week or the week before that I wanted to promote again and encourage you to get involved with and you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. Ask us and we'd love to share more with you. Eric Davis, right there. Raise your hand. That one, because we have two of them now. By the way, welcome back. Welcome back. The other Eric Davis. Good to see you and Molly and baby. And but this one right here, this is the Eric Davis 1.0. Uh, this side, and that's 2.0. Um, he oversees our discipleship and uh, material and course, and would love to speak with you, right, Eric? Yes. Yeah, so, anyway, listen. Here, I'm taking it from there. Think about the one another commands, because we go over them in in the course, talking about the church, all right? Love one another. I'm just going to rattle them off. Love one another. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. These are all from the scriptures. Uh, Have the same care for one another. Serve one another. Do not envy one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. I could go on. Beloved, those commands are not carried out in isolation from the church. But rather, they all necessitate being united with the church. There's just no way around it. And I would add that it requires more than just a casual connection. Uh, Listen, for a stone to be a stone of a building, think of the imagery, it is more Than a casual connection to the building. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine? You know, the structure, the stone's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. Maybe I'll be part of it, maybe I won't. And unfortunately, beloved, too many Christians treat the church casually. They treat it casually, they have a casual attitude about it, they remain uncommitted to it, they're aloof. They're, as I said, in and out and in and out. They have sometimes a take it, I could take it or leave it attitude, which I think in part is from a misunderstanding of the church, in part, I think. Thinking that the church is a building. Because if that's all it is, then yeah, I might go, I might... No, beloved, it's not a building. It is a building of believers, one that you are to be tied to, connected to, there's a uh, thing I get, I am definitely not, we, yeah, we're, so we're not going to get through today, so that's going to be fun, but we will finish, we'll, somehow, we will finish next week, somehow we will do it. But I get this material, um, it's, it's, it's a church support material, it's a magazine, and they, they basically sell you a lot, they sell you all kinds of different programs and things that you can do for the church. And one of them they do every year is it's called, uh, it's called National Back to Church Sunday. National Back to Church Sunday, which this year is September 18th. You might see this if you drive around, but you can buy the packet, and it has banners and flyers and prepackaged sermons. Um, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying that. Although my face might give that away. But... Um, and the idea is that basically you lose all your, your people just kind of scatter and they go away. And now every year we'll get them back in September because that's when the school cycle starts up again and people are starting to think, yeah, maybe we should go back to church. let hear the language, go back. It's come. It's, hey, everybody, it's time to come back to church. Come on, you all been out goofing off. Now it's time. A- it's that idea. And again, it's, it's that thinking that the church is a place. of so are like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And then what happens? It's the same thing every year. It's, they kind of make it usually through Christmas, you know, and then, eh, you know, January, February, maybe. And then, oh, Easter will come back. And then summer, ooh, gone, you know, just gone. And, but it, it's just a lack of commitment. It's a lack of understanding. It's, we don't Listen, I don't need you to, I wouldn't run, it, I wouldn't run that campaign. The campaign, in my mind, is given up already because it's a misunderstanding of the church. People need to understand the church, and then you won't have to do little trickeroos to get them to come back. They'll stay. They'll be involved. They'll be committed because they see the church for what it is. Not some place, but the very building of God, His design. He's put you together for a purpose. Amen. Let me, can I Now, just a personal thing. Since I was 19 years old, that's when I believe I got saved. Since I was 19 years old, I have been plugged in to the local church with a few in-betweeners, you know, but in, the in-betweens were looking, trying to find a, a good place to plug myself into. I've been plugged into the church, and I've said this to other people. Maybe you've heard me say it. I think it's had the, that has been the thing that has had the biggest impact for the good, for the positive on my life. Save my marriage, helped me raise my kids, helped me get through life, and it has helped make me the man that I am and even given me the passion to want to be a shepherd, a pastor, and then, by God's grace, plan a church. It was the church. Value the church, beloved. But you won't value it if you don't understand it biblically. So understand, that's why I'm spending so much time. Understand it, and as you understand it, you will value it. All right, the text. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. We're going to read the whole section, and then we'll just kind of pick up where we left off last time. As you come to him, verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mm. Now, looking back at verse 4, Peter says, this is what we're just picking right up where we left off. We're going to look back at verse 4, phrase I didn't, or section there I didn't cover. He says to his Christian readers, okay, as you, the you is plural, it's not individual, you, you Christians, located in these various local churches, as you come to him. Literally, in the original, it says, to whom coming? to whom coming, which I say that to say this because it follows verse three, context. Just, I want to point something out to you. If you let your eyes glance back up, at the end of verse three, it says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, to whom coming, verse four, okay? So what what am I pointing out? The end of verse three, 1 Peter 2, verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, that's a quote from the Old Testament. It's from Psalm 3489. There in Psalm 3489, the word Lord there is Yahweh. It's the name of God. It's the name of God. It's God's name. So if indeed you have tasted that the Lord Yahweh is good, to whom coming? And then he goes on in verse 4, right? And we know that to whom coming is clearly Jesus Christ, the living stone. Huh? I just want to point out, Peter has no problem applying the name for God to Jesus Christ. Did you see that? He has no problem referring to him. This one, the living stone, Jesus Christ, as the Lord, which is Yahweh, God. Jesus Christ is God. And yet we still have people, you know, cults and various organizations, trying to tell you he's not. He is. He is God. This is why he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives. This is why he is the great stone of the church. He is God in the flesh. So, just wanted to point that out. Now, concerning verse 4, the verb translated, is just a verb Translated there, as you come, as you come. That verb is used in Hebrews, another book of the Bible, in various places to depict believers drawing near to God for intimate fellowship and worship. Okay? As you come. So, again, I'm trying to help you understand as you read it, as you come, like this, as you come. The idea is drawing near to God, not just walking to Him. It's drawing near to God for intimate fellowship and worship. Drawing near. Specifically, here we're drawing near to Him, the living stone, Christ, right? Additionally, the verb is in the present tense, meaning this. I'll tell you what that means. It it means that it is a continual or repeated coming or drawing near. It's not a one time I drew near, it's a drawing near. I continue to draw near to this one in communion and in fellowship, intimate fellowship and in worship. So I say all that to say this, I don't believe it is a reference, as some have suggested as you come, to the first time a sinner comes to Christ or draws near to Christ for salvation. I don't believe it's that. Certainly that's included, it has to begin somewhere, but that's not what Peter's talking about. He's not saying, you know, he's not saying, based on the tense of the verb, he's not saying, remember, you came to him, or having come to him in the past, or since you have come to him then you yourselves are like, li- like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That imagery kind of pictures something like this. Remember, you came to him, and then he made you a living stone, and he, he plopped you in the house, the spiritual house. No, it's as you come, as you-, as you continue to draw near to him, Okay, verse 4, as believers in Jesus Christ, as you continue to go to him, God is building you up as a spiritual House. It describes here what those who constituted the church or Peter's Christian readers, who were all part of local churches, were continually doing. One commentator will just restate what I said, but just good to see it repeated. This coming does not refer to an individual's initial commitment to Christ, but to the voluntary, repeated, or habitual coming of believers to Christ for sustenance, nourishment, And fellowship. So let me paraphrase it this way, verse 4 and 5. As you believers, Christians, who, as I said, were all part of different local churches to which Peter was writing, as you repeatedly come to him, Christ, for sustenance and fellowship, the living stone of the church or the structure of the building, you yourselves or you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And that word built up, it can just mean something as simple as build or construct, but it can also mean or make more able or strengthen. Make more able or strengthen. So, as I just said, as Christians who make up the church, continually draw near to Christ, means it's something we continually need to be doing, that is the cornerstone, the living stone of the church, then the community of believers is built up into all that God desires it to be. You know what that tells me? Again, we're just shown we are completely dependent on Christ as the church. We are completely dependent on Christ. The church will not be strengthened. The church will not be built up unless the church is continually drawing near to the living stone of it, continually worshiping him, continually having intimate fellowship with him. Got it? Okay. Now, what is God's purpose for his people, for the church that he is building up as they continually draw near to Christ? What is its function? What is its intended purpose for this building? What is it? It's there in the text. Let's look at it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. So, you yourselves, or you also, as or like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That is the reality. And here is the purpose to be a holy priesthood. To offer, this holy priesthood is then to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So those who constitute the house also, we're told, function as priest, as priest. One writer says this: "Believers not only make up the church, but what's it say? Yeah. Do you think all this service stuff is just, you know, you know, we're, maybe some folks they just that's why they have us here. They have us here because they need us to serve right uh, beloved <laughs> that is why god has placed us here and together to serve to serve in the church the the I- okay so here the idea of a non-serving christian within the community of believers now serving the body is an idea, again, foreign to the Word of God. It doesn't make sense. Right? Uh, Someone just coming and going, but not actively serving, is not illustrated in the Scriptures at all. The opposite is illustrated. But again, if you think of the church as a place, then I could see that. Because then I go to the church, to a place, to be served. No. I gather with the church as a believer in Jesus Christ, and I am a servant in that church. God has saved me, called me, redeemed me, that I might be, that this church might be a holy priesthood offering up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices to God. Okay, The priest of the Old Testament served God and served the people. So believers not only make up the church, but they serve in it, ministering as a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. So the church is not just a house of worship, it's a house of service. Okay? Now, one writer points this out, I think is helpful. It's not on the screen, I'll just read it to you. Peter was not thinking here, think of the imagery. It's a priesthood of believers. This house is constituted by Christians, these Christians are a priesthood of believers, collectively. Collectively. Peter was not thinking, the writer says, mainly of each individual functioning as a priest before God. Again, the idea like, I'm a priest before God, I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. No, that's not the imagery. The focus here is on the church corporately, together, as God's set-apart priesthood in which the emphasis is on believers functioning as priests. And then he says, Western believers tend to, that would include us, Western American believers, tend to individualize the notion of priesthood rather than seeing the community emphasis. They individualize it. They individualize everything. And part of it is our independence. Our, we were you know, born on that. It's like rooted in our DNA. And then we bring it into the church and we try to apply it there, and it should not apply there because when we speak of the church, when God speaks of the church, it's a corporate thing. It's a together thing. It's not a, it's just me and my relationship with God, and I'm a priest for God. The scriptures don't speak like that. They view, they, they illustrate, they picture believers together, collectively here as a priesthood serving God together. Okay? Okay, I'm just trying to drive that home. Isolation just doesn't fit. Being by yourself, being the Lone Ranger Christian, that's not God's plan for you, okay? I know people try to do it. They do it to their own detriment. We encourage people not to do that. That's what I'm doing. I'm encouraging you not to do that. So you're like, Jeremy, I'm here. Okay, you're here. But at any point, I trust me, God will... God, oh my goodness. Not God, but Satan, the enemy of your soul will look to try to change your thinking about such things. All of a sudden, it's not as valuable as you once thought it was, or you'll think differently about it. And then you check out. And watch it happen again and again. And it's so detrimental, and it's not God's design. It is not God's will for the Christian. Okay? So... Here's one translation of this section that I find helpful. We're almost, we're gonna wrap here in a second. First Peter 2 5, it says here, you also are like living stones. As you come to him, you are being built into a house for worship. There, as part of that house, you will be holy priest, you will offer spiritual sacrifices. God will accept them because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, what are spiritual sacrifices? Okay? So you're serving, you're doing something, you're serving, and you're offering specifically as priest, as those who have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, okay? you are offering spiritual sacrifices made acceptable because of what Jesus Christ has done. Well, one writer says this, and this is helpful, I found it helpful, the main task of the Old Testament priest was the offering of material animal sacrifices. That's what they did. That was part of their duty service unto God and unto his people, all of which pointed to Christ's great sacrifice to come. These are no longer needed since Christ offered his all-sufficient sacrifice once for all, right? So you're not bringing physical animal sacrifices. You're not bringing animal sacrifices. That's not what God has called us to do as his church, now there remain for God's holy priesthood only the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, seeing that all the treasures of God's grace are now poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Now there may be a more simpler explanation of what these, these spiritual sacrifices are. One writer just puts it this way. They are expressions of worship by the redeemed offered in gratitude and self-surrender. Okay? So... As has been pointed out by uh, many Bible commentators, these sacrifices would include things such as the sacrifice of our praise, the sacrifice of our prayers, the sacrifice of our love, the sacrifice of our good works, the sacrifice of our possessions, the sacrifice of our very bodies. God has called you, redeemed you, pulled you out of darkness, into the light, United you with Christ, placed you into the body of Christ. You are part of the church that you might be, assuming you are a believer, that you might be a holy priesthood set apart for him for service, offering up together your spiritual sacrifices unto him. So let us I'm going to read a few passages and then we'll close for today concerning where other places in the scriptures we've seen the idea of Spiritual sacrifices being mentioned and uh, that I just spoke of, the idea of our bodies or prayer or love. So, for instance, you might remember this from Romans 12.1. There the Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your very bodies, all that you are, all your, fa- every, your mind, your, your mo- all of it, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Ephesians chapter 5, there the Apostle Paul says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We as imitators of Christ are to be offering up our love as an offering and sacrifice to God. Philippians 4, 18, here the Apostle Paul speaks of money. He says, I've received full payment and more. He needed support in his missionary endeavors, and he looked to the church to make sacrifices financially that he might fulfill the great commission that he was called to to make the gospel known to the Gentile world. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, a member of the church, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. These are all spiritual sacrifices made by the priesthood, priesthood of believers, the church. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, "...through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God." That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Another translation says, "...the fruit of lips that confess his name." They make his name known. They speak the truth about God and Christ. And then in 16, we see another sacrifice. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Beloved, we're going to have to end there, because time is up. Time is up. The church is not a building. The church is the redeemed people of God, connected to Christ, the living stone, the cornerstone, the great stone, connected with one another, but it's not just a building that sits there. Huh? Look at the pretty building. This building is active. This building has been built and is being built that it might serve God. God. It has been set apart just as the priest of old, it has been set apart for a purpose, sanctified that they might give their lives and all of it in the service of God, which includes serving one another and serving the world that we live in by making Christ known. That's the church. That's the the glory that is the church. It's active, active, it's serving God, it's together, it's united, it's glorious. I hope, I hope, as we continue to just punch away at this and and again repeat the same things over and over again, that um, your view of the church will be elevated, or if it is already elevated and appropriately aligned with the Word of God, that it might just be confirmed in your mind and your heart. And I'll say this because I have to because I didn't get to it. It's in the next section, but I don't want to not say it. We're going to find out as we begin to look here when Peter begins to speak about the stone. So I'm going to come back to it next time and hit it in more detail. But just because you're sitting in here, again, this is a misunderstanding of the church. I go to church. No, you, you don't really. You might be here, which means you're here And you might be part of the church because you are united with the church through Christ. But if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not part of the church. You are not part of the church. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not part of this building unless you are connected to the cornerstone of the building. And I say that, and I'm emphasizing that because in any given Local church, there are folks that are there who are not actually part of that community of believers because they've never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just had a a young man I got to speak with. He grew up in a Christian home. Okay? Great privilege. And so he, part of what Christians do is they fellowship with other believers, the church, right? But that young man finally came to a point where he understood he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So even though he was here week after week and has been, and probably in his other time in history, another church and place there, he was never part of the church. He was never part of the church. He is now because he's given his life to Jesus Christ. That's so important to get, because i am I'm fearful that because people think wrongly about the church, I I go to church, so I'm part of the church. No, you are not, unless you are connected to that living stone. And you're only connected to the living stone through repentance and faith in him. That's the only way to get connected. You remember Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me? Jesus, let me just add another illustration. He's not just a living stone and the foundation of the church, or I'm sorry, the living stone, the cornerstone of the church. He's the door. He speaks of himself that way. He's the door of the church. You don't really get into the, not really, you don't get into the church. And because we think of the church as just a building, yeah, I'm in the church. No, you're not. And beloved, Christ is coming back for his church. And all who are not part of the church will face judgment. So let me appeal to you. You who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, week after week, we, we make it available for you to come up and speak with someone up here who would love to talk to you about that. Or you can even write it on your connection card. Maybe you've got to jet out of here after the service because you're really hungry. Which is not a good reason to, again, walk away from Jesus Christ. There's actually no good reason. But if you must... You can put it on your connection card. I'm interested in starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. We will call you. We want to talk to you about that. Because if you don't have one, when he comes, and beloved, he could come any moment. There's nothing that has to happen before he comes for his church. Not according to God's timetable. Nothing. When he comes, he's coming for his church. All else will be left to face things that are are just horrible and horrific. So, would you come and talk to us, please? If you know, and the Spirit is even working right now to convict you that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're here, yes, but you don't know Him. You are not united with Him. You don't live for Him. You don't really care about Him. Not really. You're kind of just going through the motions. You may come here because your mom and dad come here. You may come here because, I don't know, you're lonely. There could be a lot of reasons. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And we desire with all of our hearts for you to no longer remain in that state but for you to repent and turn and flee to Christ where you will find refuge, where you will find his sweet salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just want to pray one more time. I want to pray again, Father. May your sovereign hand be upon this body here and upon those who are not part of the body, especially right now. Who are really, they're not part of your church. They're here, and we are glad they're here so that they can hear the word and be invited to come to Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you work as only you can do to bring them to that place where they see their need, they see their desperate situation, they hear the warning, and they heed it, and they come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. I pray that we might be able to help them do that this morning. If they would refrain from leaving, but instead come and speak with one of us that will be up here after the service. Father, I pray that you would work out those details. And if they must leave, Lord, I pray that they would at least, at minimum, let us know somehow that they need to be spoken with. They want to know more. Father, for their sake, I pray. For their eternal salvation, I pray. I ask that you do that mighty work this morning in their lives. It's in Christ's name who we honor and love and give almighty praise to that I pray these things. Amen.